you're an early stage Web3 founder, apply to our award-winning accelerator program, Basecamp at outlierventures.io slash Basecamp. We write your first $50,000 check and give you access to 200 mentors, including many of the leading Web3 founders, and a network of 1,000 of the world's leading investors and exchanges. We've helped over 30 startups from 15 countries from all around the world, raise $130 million in growth funding, and can help you fast-track product market fit and, where relevant, the launch of your token economy. Okay, so today I'm really happy to welcome Al Morris onto the show. He is founder of The Coin Network. Welcome, Al. Hi, Jamie. Thanks for having me on the show. So you are an entrepreneur, an engineer, somebody very deep into both crypto and NFTs. Um, and we would describe Koi as a scalable peer-to-peer network designed to replace the web at scale and enable a more dynamic and persistent metaverse that can mimic the real world. And obviously, um, that is critical for, I guess, a true definition of the metaverse, which is something that makes the physical and the virtual in- indivisible. So, um, but of course, it's also quite a big statement. It could mean lots of different things to different people. So we are going to unpack that with you. Um, I guess a shorthand for how you might think of Koi is it is a blockchain designed for media and people, not just currency. And it's going to replace or enable the replacement of lots of the applications that we use for social media today. But of course, it's it's not limited to that. Um, and, you know, really, there's a lot of focus now with the rise and popularity of NFTs around the creator economy, you know, what it means. And I know you say that you are a creator first blockchain based upon um, how it functions. And uh, so I'm looking forward to getting into that with you. And you've you've come up with some really cool innovations, um, including atomic NFTs with a big focus around interoperability. Uh, you joined one of our recent accelerator cohorts at Basecamp at Outlier Ventures. So we got to know you pretty well. Since then, you've been enjoying some great success. Um, you launched something called the Finney Wallet that's had over three and a half thousand downloads. Um, and of those that kind of downloaded and installed it, more than one third of those are submitting NFTs pretty regularly. You've had at least 7,000 applications to run nodes in the network, um, which shows that the kind of incentives that you've designed um, uh, seemed to, to resonate with the kind of stakeholders that you're looking to help support the network. Um, and I think it's, it's probably safe to say that you're the killer app, or at least um, positioned to become the killer app in the Arweave ecosystem. Of course, you're built on Arweave. Arweave has been backed by some of the biggest the crypto VCs in the world, including A16Z, Coinbase Ventures. Um, and, you know, you're doing some really interesting things around, I guess, the, the idea of a forever digital asset and also dynamic NFTs. And you've got some interesting partnerships happening there. So um, enough with me waffling. Uh, let's just get into knowing who Al is. Al, you know, I know you've uh, originally had a background as a robotics engineer, but you've done all sorts of different things, uh, including some great initiatives to help 
kind of help the blockchain ecosystem grow, I guess, from a developer perspective, including the Blockchain Institute of Chicago and WeTeachBlockchain.org. But it'd be great to kind of hear your your genesis story and how you arrived at the problem that um, you're trying to solve today. Yeah, the Blockchain Institute's been my main kind of passion project and main focus for the last three or four years. Um, that sort of sprung out of me and a number of other people in the Chicago blockchain community finding that while there was a lot of support for you know institutional investors and large traders, there wasn't a lot of uh, public education available around the technology. And so we set out to try to make mass adoption um, more achievable for people. Before that, I'd been working in industrial robotics where I uh, built a lot of automation systems for kind of larger brands, kind of Kraft Heinz, Miller Coors, uh, large food and beverage and pharmaceutical companies. And I was really looking for a way to give back and do something more um, more proactive and bigger scale. And blockchain jumped out to me as the way that we can really achieve that. Um, I was also, I was in the US at the beginning of the 2016 election and I hadn't been living there prior to that. And so I found that there was this crazy thing where the internet was just like, all these people, and most of them didn't seem to know what they were talking about. A lot of them were parroting like bad information they're getting from other places. So I've kind of been looking for a way to use blockchain to reshape that ecosystem and to make it, uh, you know, a little bit more transparent, a little bit more real lifelike, so people don't feel like they can just go on the internet and say whatever. Um, and that's kind of that's where Koi came from as a, a technology solution to make all of these uh, all of these systems online more accountable and you know, make it possible to build those dApps that we've been hearing about since 2016. Yeah. So I remember, you know, when you, when you joined us at Basecamp, I'm trying to think how many months ago that is now. Time's a very weird thing, right? I think it was almost a year ago that, uh, that we got our first check from you guys. Right. And, you know, as you would expect, you know, you joined as an early stage startup and, and things evolve. And I remember the kind of initial problem statement was was very specific, as you said, it was around, I mean, I can't remember the language that you were using back then, but it was something around, you know, how can you establish forms of truth, or at least, you know, have a kind of more open and, and transparent provenance of debate and discussion um, online. And of course, you know, what you are today is, is so much more than that, but I would assume still kind of holds to that original vision, right? It still enables that that type of uh, innovation and, and purpose that you wanted to see in the world. Yeah, no, we haven't deviated one bit. Um, so when we first pitched Outlier, we were pitching the Goldfish service, which was a, uh, a network of nodes on people's computers that would allow you to scrape the internet the same way that Google does. And this would allow us to correlate uh, fake news and bad information. It would also allow us to identify when somebody was producing really good content that actually mattered to a lot of people. And the thing that that led to was uh, actually someone from Outlier, uh, Scott, who runs the Basecamp program, suggested that we should talk to Arweave because they had an archival blockchain and you know they were making leaps and bounds on that front. Um, and so we went to uh, Sam from Arweave and just asked for a grant. And Sam's response was um, to basically spend almost five hours on the phone call with me uh, as we started to really delve into what we were building. And he saw the vision immediately. And his response was that if we're going to build something like this, we can't give the power of the network to the node operators. We can't let the people who run these nodes own everything because that's just going to throw off the whole dynamic. And then you're going to have a bunch of like kind of software oligarchs who end up taking over this new system that we're building. Um, so that was when he suggested the creator creator reward side of it, which led us to the attention economy and everything that we've built since. But it's still exactly the same mission. And actually, Storecat, which is the, uh, the decentralized web scraping product, is still very much alive and well on Koi. And we're actively working on uh, 
making that kind of a huge component of our system as we continue to try and build this decentralized revolution. And maybe just for context, could you describe Arweave in like a sentence or two? Obviously, Sam's been on the podcast before, but several months ago, people may not have listened to that episode. But just very quickly, what what is Arweave and and, and, um, how does it benefit Koi? So Arweave is like every other decentralized file storage network that you can think of, Filecoin, Sia, those ones. The only difference with Arweave is that in the Arweave ecosystem, everyone is incentivized to store the content for as long as possible. Um, So every time that a new block is added, a random recall block is chosen from the network. And that could be, it could be a year ago, it could be two years ago, it's just one block of information that was added. So if you're a node in this network, you're incentivized to hold on to as many pieces of content for as long as possible. Um, So there's no expiry like there would be with something like Filecoin where you pay and then it gets deleted. And this is really, really cool because if something's stored permanently, it's basically like a blockchain. Um, So what Koi lets you do is it lets you create composable proof of stake games inside of this permanent storage layer, um, which it makes things a lot more flexible uh, than it would be on kind of something like Ethereum. Great. Um, So now let's kind of go into, I guess, this perhaps expanded purpose. And so, you know, I, I think I've heard you describe the idea that most blockchains today just aren't ready for true decentralized applications. Um, and you've chosen to kind of isolate the storage problem as one of the key things that can enable that future possibility to happen. Of course, there's lots of blockchains that are coming to market, like Definity and several others that are saying that, you know, we are the way that you can enable decentralized applications at scale. So let's kind of interrogate that a little bit. Let's drill down into specifically how Koi enables what isn't currently possible on any other blockchain. Sure. Uh, so there's two big assumptions that I think everyone's making that may or may not be true. Um, the first one is this idea of Turing completeness. So when Ethereum first started working on their protocol, um, they had this idea that they would take Bitcoin and then they would make a Turing complete computer that runs just like Bitcoin does. That is a really like insurmountably huge task. Um, so you still see a lot of things that aren't Turing complete in Ethereum, like you have to get uh, an Oracle to compute random numbers for you, for example. Um, and so there's limitations like that where like when you try to bite off a really big problem and create a totally generalized solution, it leads you down a path which is really, really difficult to have a high degree of quality in. Um, the second thing that is a huge assumption that a lot of these networks are making is that transaction speed is really important. Um, and so the, the assumption is that you want to compute things quickly and you want to be able to have this like instant computation like you do when you send a task to your, uh, to your computer like locally, like you, you tell your computer to do one plus one, you want the answer back right away. Um, and we just don't think that that's necessary for a lot of things. So like if you're talking about posting a photo to Facebook, you actually don't need it to be instantly posted into Facebook. Um, you want it to get into the network so other people can look at it, but you don't need them to be able to uh, say that it is stored permanently instantly. So you don't need that like immediate confirmation that everyone's fighting for. Um, and that's why we, see, we say that Koi is built for media and people and not just currency. Because when we look at it from a design standpoint, instead of trying to get this instant transaction finality, we're really designing more for like what makes it easier for a developer, what makes it easier for a content creator, and then trying to bridge those gaps to build a solution that meets the needs of the users instead of trying to just maximize technical feasibility or to like optimize the system ahead of time. Right. And so can you, can you explain technically how you achieve this? 
Sure. Uh, so we do this with a thing called gradual consensus. So the idea with gradual consensus is that each piece of information in the network just, like, over time can build up a certain amount of clout. Um, and so when we talk about something like uh, Storecat, which does web scraping, the way that works is somebody scrapes a website and then they submit what they think is a valid payload to the network. And other nodes can then vote on that valid payload to say that they also support that that is the current content of that website. Um, when we do this with attention tracking and the day-to-day -day attention game, uh, one node will say, hey, I have counted up all the attention and I think these people deserve the rewards. And then other nodes can opt in and support them. Um, but actually coming to a conclusion takes you know, up to two days sometimes. Um, so while it would normally be a really intensive process if you're running on Ethereum and try to get an answer very quickly, with our network, it's actually much more eco-friendly and it also uh, kind of just, it is a system that does not require um, a certain transaction limit either. So we can do like gigantic batches of transactions in parallel. Uh, we can theoretically put millions at a time into a CSV file on our wave. And then it, you know, they all get immediately, uh, they immediately, we immediately have a state transition that includes all of that information. Right. And I think you've referenced that um, it enables like a thousand percent cost reduction, right? Yeah. Yeah. It's enormous, um, especially for NFTs. Because if you want to make an NFT right now, typically what you have to do is you have to pay to store it on Filecoin. And then you also have to pay for a transaction on like Ethereum or you know another blockchain. Um, and so with Koi, you only pay for one transaction and it's on our wave, which is already really inexpensive. So that's kind of the underlying, I guess, system design. And then um, on top of that, you're enabling for um, these kind of forever digital assets um, and for uh, dynamic NFTs, the idea that, that the NFT itself can become dynamic. Could you talk us through both of those things? They both actually are very similar. Um, so the first thing is that because the NFT itself and the media of it are stored on Arweave, um, it means that it's very unlikely that the files will ever be deleted. So if you wanted to write a video game, for example, on Arweave that will exist using Koi tasks, um, those assets will be stored forever and the system will continue to be interoperable and interactive because the Koi tasks are also decentralized. The second thing about this that's cool is the interaction of dynamic NFTs. And so the way that we created dynamic NFTs is that they are just like a normal atomic NFT, but they have a smart contract integration that creates a bounty for a task. And that task means that somebody else now has an incentive to go and uh, make an update to this NFT over time to like act like a custodian. So, you know, if it's an item in a video game, this could be like a durability breakdown where the person goes, uh, where somebody programmatically goes and updates the durability of the item um, to kind of grade it back as, as time progresses. Um, it could also be something a little bit more fun though. So one example that we made recently is called the Narcissus Flower. And the Narcissus Flower is an NFT that I made that uh, it'll bloom if it gets more attention. Uh, so within the coin network, we track attention and that's how we handle the tokens every day. And so if this flower gets a lot of attention, it will blossom and it'll open up and people will be able to see the open uh, image. And then if it gets less attention, it'll slowly close up until it's just a bulb again. Um, the really cool thing about that, though, is those attention rewards get deposited into the coin task contract, which then incentivizes somebody to maintain this flower over time. Right. So this is the, the attention component is, is a, a key metric, right? And, and tracking, quantifying presumably financializing attention in the context of the attention economy is critical because that's how participants in the network know where to divert their resources, presumably. Yeah. Um, it's partially as a tool to identify quality content. You know, if somebody's getting a lot of attention from high reputation stakeholders, then we tend to assume it's high quality. 
Um, the other side of it, though, too, is just to be able to allocate resources within this economy. So um, the scarcest thing on the planet is actually attention to some extent. It disappears every second, right? There's only so much of it. And if you don't capture it, it's gone. And so what we did is we created this as a way to allocate the resources of our network. So the tokens will only be distributed based on attention. Um, and that means over time, the, uh, the resources of the network, you know, the node computation capacity, uh, whatever kind of social clout we receive, if we have an ads network that is built on top of this, all of that value will accrue to whoever creates the most attention in the network. So can we, can we start with trying to understand atomic NFTs? What are they and how do they work? So what an atomic NFT is, is we take the smart contract code and we embed it into the actual media file itself. And that allows us to store a single payload with a single ID that actually has all of the NFT inside of it, which is very different from most NFTs on Ethereum, where the media is stored separately. Um, and so the benefit of that is? Uh, the benefit of that is that you can never get rug pulled. You can never lose the media assets. And it also means that you have one single ID that represents this wherever. Uh, so in our case, it means we can track attention across multiple different platforms with one registration point. Right. And this attention piece is is obviously critical. We're going to get, get to that in a, in a little bit. But I guess the idea that you can have both the logic and the, the assets um, together means that you can begin to do kind of funky things with it, right, around making those NFTs dynamic. Yeah, you can do some really exciting stuff. So one example of this is where you take an image or a series of images and you embed them into the NFT, uh, but in a way that you can only see them if the NFT decides to show them to you. Um, and so you can have the actual contract itself react to its outside surroundings and then present a different, um, a different image or different content depending on what's going on. And you've got an example of that, right? You kind of have a, a, a proof of concept um, which can respond to the attention it, it receives, so it blooms, right? Yeah, uh, yeah. So we have the narcissist flower, and basically what it does is, if it gets more attention day to day, it will start to open up, and then as it gets less attention, it will actually start to close. Um, the cool thing about this is that the attention it receives uh, accrues as koi tokens, so it can pay somebody to take care of it. Um, so it becomes kind of this like autonomous thing that lives on the internet by itself and can pay its own bills. Very cool. So I guess it's a primitive form of an autonomous economic agent in a way, um, realized uh, as a as an NFT. And I know you've been collaborating with some of the gaming industry around dynamic NFTs as well. Could you talk us through what that collaboration looks like and who it is? Yeah, for sure. Um, we haven't actually announced this one yet, so a little sneak peek. Oh, uh, Leyline is a group of guys from Blizzard, uh, a bunch of former Activision employees, and they are building basically a way to gamify social good. So you go and you do something like uh, give blood or volunteer or something like that, and you earn up these uh, points within the Leyline ecosystem. And those allow you to actually play a game that they've developed where you can evolve these uh Kind of dynamic creatures over time and so if you get more good reputation points by giving blood or volunteering or something you can use those to evolve your nft where all of the good deeds that you did get locked into that nft when you evolve it and then the nft will present differently based on you having done all these good deeds and so at the top end we we made a pretty big statement right which was that this will enable i guess an alternative um form of, well, just web application full stop, right? Um, primarily centered around the attention economy. And I know that attention is kind of one of the core 
um, ways that the network, the coin network allocates resources. But could you kind of talk us through how attention works within the network, how that effectively reroutes or reallocates resources? Um, and then I guess how this scales from where you are today to replacing the web as we know it, replacing Facebook, replacing, I don't know, even even Google. Sure. So the, the attention is what dictates where the Koi tokens go. Every day we're creating Koi tokens the same way that, you know, Bitcoin or Ethereum does with their mining. Um, it's just that we, you can only mine the Koi tokens by creating attention and directing the Koi network. Um, and so the goal of this is to create this virtuous cycle where we're getting more and more spokespeople to go out and talk about the Koi network and apps that run on it. Um, and then to your second question, it's the apps that run on it that are going to enable the growth that we need. So we're building the framework here. Uh, we have a significant grants pool that we're opening up as well as a whole bunch of technology templates. One of the things that we've tried to do is to make the Koi network really interoperable um, and to make it so that you can use just our JavaScript SDK to interact with the whole thing. So if you needed to deploy something that goes cross-chain and ends up having some footing on Ethereum or Filecoin or IPFS, our goal is to put that all into one template for you so that you can build one app instead of building a whole bunch of different applications. Um, and we've, we've seen a lot of traction with that. Uh, we have a handful of these partnerships, like I mentioned, and then we've also got a couple of kind of in-house apps that we started building that do uh, a variety of different tasks. So is the idea that effectively Koi can allow for attention economies to, I guess, bloom across different networks. So let's say there's a particular access created on Ethereum or um, any other any other protocol, Polkadot, whatever it might be. Um, and that use case, that particular application can then effectively leverage your token economics, your kind of game theoretics to incentivize or reward attention. Yeah, so the, one of the best things about the Atomic NFT standard is that when you register once, you get this one ID that represents that content. And then no matter where that content appears, it'll have this ID tag to it. And if people who are using the Finney wallet or the upcoming mobile browser can see that content anywhere that they go, they'll be re recording those attention rewards and the person will end up getting paid. Uh, so we created that as the core foundation because then what that allows you to do is if you build an app on top of Koi, um, you can help people publish content, say decentralized Twitter, decentralized YouTube, like all of these different social platforms that we're familiar with, they're all attention economies, right? YouTube, uh, it basically pays people to produce videos so that then it can sell ads and it's all just kind of revolving door of attention. Um, so what we're trying to do is provide all the frameworks so somebody can come along and out of the box, get almost everything they need to build decentralized YouTube. Uh, so that we can hopefully have a proliferation of these kinds of apps and have you know 10 decentralized YouTubes instead of just one DTube. And so does that then necessitate the need for a decentralized ad network to be realized on top of Koi? Would that happen on Koi or would something else need to be built or another network need to be leveraged? So right out of the box, you get access to our proofs of real traffic system. Uh, it's all transparent, open data. So actually, anybody who wants to could build an ad network on Koi. We're also going to be coming out with a um, an update to the Atomic NFT standard in a week or two, which will be a standard for an ad-bearing NFT. And so basically how this will work is that you'll set a bounty on an NFT, and then as the NFT gets more views from certain demographics, then that bounty will be paid out to the creator of the NFT. Um, and so you can create kind of like almost sponsored content, but as a protocol. Wow, very interesting. Um, 
So I was going to ask you that, like on the one hand, yeah, I think people will be really excited by this. They will be perhaps hoping that we can have a different paradigm to the, the ad model that currently dominates the web as it is today. And we can begin to experiment with different business models. Could you talk us through, so on the one hand, it, it kind of continues, um, perhaps even enhances the existing kind of uh, media ad model, but are there any other kind of obvious business models or perhaps not obvious, perhaps slightly more exotic business models that you could see emerging around attention and the attention economy? Well, so this idea of dyna dynamic NFTs has some really cool properties there. Um, we're in talks with a handful of groups, I uh, can't name names right now, about the idea of building dynamic NFTs as uh, kind of like a social hacking thing. So if you create a dynamic NFT that has some property, like our flower that blooms when people look at it, and then you put it out in front of a community, you know, you could say the first hundred people that look at this will get a, you know, a piece of the NFT for themselves, something like that. Or you could say, you know, let's all look at this so that it'll look a certain way. Um, there's also things like uh, on Reddit about like five years ago or so, they had that thing where um, they had an image and every person could buy one pixel of the image. So there's a lot of these applications that you can do kind of tying in the attention economy as a fun way for people to vote without having money right up front. Um, and that's that's really what we're trying to do here. Like, you know, we can't fix the ad economy as a part of our global economy. We can't fix um, we can't fix how NFTs work, as, like the copyright issues there. But we can fix uh, making more transparent and more open systems so more people can participate in these economies. So if we have 10 ad networks, you know, collectively, they're probably a lot less evil than one giant ad network. Um, and similarly, like one giant uh, overarching video platform is a lot more evil than having hundreds of them that are kind of dynamic and spread out. Um, so our goal is really just to give people the tools so that they can have almost like WordPress level scalability right out of the box. Like just build any app that you want, have it run attention rewards, and then instantly monetize by getting paid in Koi tokens. And presumably with the ad network, you know, one of the big problems around those is, you know, fake views, right, um, at, at an industrial scale. But you, you have this proof of attention, right? So that's that that would remove a significant part of fraud um, and malpractice within the advertising industry anyway. Yeah. So we have uh, proofs of real traffic is what it's called. And the funny thing about this is Google and Facebook and a lot of these companies have for years been trying to figure out how to do this. And they actually, um, their main solution is to unknowingly get people to act as what we call bellwether notes. And so if you have Chrome or if you have um, like a Google account signed in your computer, what you're actually doing is you're providing Google a whole bunch of value because now they know that you're a real user and they can take you out of the, uh, the mix or they can, they can use you to take spam out of the mix. And what we're doing is to make that information about who the real users are and how they're browsing and what their traffic habits look like taking all that information, making it completely transparent and anonymous. So it's not like we're going to take your browsing history and show it to all these people, but we will provide this data set so that anybody who wants to tap into it can do that. Uh, so instead of it just being in Google server, it'll be in a very public place so that anybody can tap into it. Very cool. So so what's next for, for the Coin Network and how can people participate? Uh, well, the best way to participate is to get the Finny wallet. Um, that's going to get you access to a whole bunch of Koi tokens over the next couple of weeks. Uh, specifically, if you upload some NFTs, you know, now uh, there's not that many people in the network, you know, only a few thousand. But as we get up to the millions, which I, I 
fully anticipate that we will be hitting like millions of users within a year or so. Um, you know, if you put an NFT up now, you will be getting a lot more tokens. So just getting in there right now and getting something on the leaderboard could mean that you end up earning, you know, tens of thousands of dollars over the next couple of years. Um, that aside, the other best way to get involved is obviously just to like buy some tokens, stake them, run a node. Um, the public sale will be coming up very, very soon. So probably within a month or so, we'll be announcing uh, final information about where you can sign up. But in the meantime, there's a whitelist on our website. Um, so there's a lot of a lot of different ways to get involved. The main thing is participate in our economy early on, and you will be vastly rewarded. Uh, we really want to have more than 50% of this network be owned by the users within you know, a couple of years. And so if you get in early, there's going to be a lot of opportunities to claim some ownership, get some tokens, and you know even have your voice heard and maybe build a product on top of the app. Very cool. And look, you know, I know we covered off quite a lot there. Um, there's a, a huge amount of innovation, actually more than I was even aware of, um, specifically around NFTs. So that, that's kind of great to see. Um, so really looking forward to seeing how people begin to leverage this and the wider NFT ecosystem. And, and it was good to touch base with you again, Al. Yeah, yeah, it was great talking to you, Jamie. Uh, and we will try to keep you guys informed. I know we're building a lot of stuff very quickly, but uh, Outlier has always been very, very kind to us. And we really appreciate, you know, we really would not have been able to do anything that we've done in the last year without your support. Oh man, it's been a real pleasure. Thanks for coming on now. Sure thing. If you enjoyed today's podcast, please make sure you subscribe, rate, and share your feedback to help us reach as many people as possible with the important mission of Web3. Thank you.